You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Interning 101 podcast, hosted by yours truly, Emily White, author of Interning 101. We have a very special guest on the show today. Um, her name is also Emily White. Welcome, Emily. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. No problem. So let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? I am from Charleston, West Virginia. What's that like? It's a beautiful state, a really nice place to grow up. If you like uh, whitewater rafting, hiking, it's the state for you. We get a bad rap sometimes for uh, good reasons, but a beautiful state. Cool. And don't take this the wrong way, West Virginia, but like, did you always plan on leaving or, because you went to school at American University, right? Yes. Yeah. DC. Yeah. I think a big part of that, though, was I was such a music person, and until I moved to D.C. for college, like, I had never gone to see a band play at a, you know, club show, right? The only music I had really seen was uh, kind of local to West Virginia. Um, Not a lot of bands come through or would play my hometown, and we weren't really driving distance from any major cities. So as a teen, like... I never, I didn't get to see any of my favorite bands perform. Crazy. My first, uh, my first real show was Yola Tango at the 930 Club my freshman year of college. Um, But yes, so I was such a music lover. And so I knew, okay, if I want to be in that world, I have to go to a city. Um, So I only applied to colleges in Chicago, Boston, New York, et cetera. Great. And why did you choose American and what did you study? Um, so I actually went to American as an international studies oh, major yeah, that's right. that lasted for one semester. Um, and, uh, I picked American because it was in a city and I got a good scholarship. Uh, and I was interested in, uh, international studies. thought that was what I wanted to do. And they've got one of the best programs in the country, but after a semester, and getting involved with the college radio station, I kind of quickly realized that, oh no, music is what I love. I gotta figure out a way to do this. And uh, I discovered that there actually was a really great audio tech program at American um, and also uh, the com- you know communications school. So I ended up studying uh, at a degree in communication studies, media and society, and then a minor in audio technology. Did you know what you wanted to do while you were in college? Like after college? Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. I didn't know what I wanted to do senior year of college. I remember I actually found, I was going cleaning out my desk recently and I found um, these post-its where my senior year of college, I had kind of put these posters up on my wall and I had a list of like things I'm good at, things I want, things I don't want, like potential like things that I could be, right? I love it. And the things that I had written down were like, um, I could like 
own a concert venue. I could be, you know, a radio host. I could be an artist manager, you know, um, basically just, I could be any type of thing related, uh, to, to music. I didn't even know at that point that, you know, product management, which is my role now was a job. Right. Uh, so I, I never could have, uh, charted. And it, it was a job then, Mm. but like probably not, there are more product management jobs now. Yeah. Or more, more awareness of, of what it means to be, um, a product manager. But yeah, so no, I didn't, I did not know what I wanted to do. So it's new. It needed to be music adjacent. Awesome. And so how did you start to navigate that? Like, um, obviously we'll talk about the NPR internship, but was that your first internship? Uh, no. So my first internship was actually the summer after I graduated from high school. And I interned at the attorney general's office in West Virginia. That's awesome. In the consumer protection uh, division. And I actually interned there for, for two summers. Um, and then what was your, how did you get that actually? That's interesting. Um, so that uh, was, uh, my dad works uh, for a division of the AFL-CIO in West Virginia, um, the Carpenters Union. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, it, yeah, through a friend of his and then also a family friend uh, worked at the AG's office as well. So That's great. Start local, like yes. both with your network and literally. Yes. And then um, what internship did you do after that? So after that, uh, well, let's see. So yes, so I interned at the Attorney General's office. The next summer I was doing that again. I was also doing catering at the governor's mansion. I was doing uh, a kind of shorter internship at the local public radio station uh, in West Virginia. And then the following summer, I was interning for um, this web series in DC called um, Orange Juice in Bishop's Garden. Uh, it's one of the like oldest and longest running web series. It started in 2006, I think. Um, so I was interning there and then I was also working for American um, doing uh, like social media management for the university. That's a great gig. Um, that was paid. That was paid. Yeah. And then the web series job was not. So that was sort of sure. I, in order to do the free internship here, I also yeah. had a paid gig there. And then the following summer would have been NPR. So I was an intern, intern for All Songs Considered. And did you work at your college radio station before NPR? Yes. So I worked at my college radio station the whole time I was in college. And it was the great, you know, I started as an assistant music, you know, uh, on the music team. I was the librarian. I was the music director. And then my my senior year of college, after my NPR internship, I was the general manager of our station. Amazing. Um, I think your experience there was pretty important, too. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, coming from West Virginia, where I was I was kind of the, the music person for my group of friends, so where I, I kind of felt like I was always the person introducing other people to new music and to come to college and be part of a community of people who were just as passionate about music as I was, where I was constantly discovering new things from them was just so, so special to me. And also then to have the opportunity to really um bootstrap things together as a Mm -hmm. team was super fun and I got to do so many cool things there we threw this awesome show where we worked with all of the other 
college radio um, stations in DC. To that is cool. Show together at Six and I. Great. Um, you know we. You know, fought with the you know the the college to get more funding and yeah. all of those different types of things. And the other thing um, about being a GM that was so great for me was getting leadership experience. Um, so to have you know your executive board, yeah, that was really my first opportunity to be uh, to kind of manage people. Definitely. And not to jump around too much, but the reason I reacted to your social media gig at American mm-hmm. and I could tell it was paid is yeah. like. Every intern resume I get says that they have social social media skills and they don't. Mm-hmm. So whether you were given guidance on that or not, it's yeah. great that it's like, you know how Twitter works and yeah. you're like figuring this stuff out, you know? Well, and, and honestly, that was, um, that was a bit of a calling card for me in my career early on. Um, when I, when I was at the attorney general's office, like that internship started out with like, I think my first week there I was shredding paper yeah. for a week. Right. And it ended with like, I was controlling all of the attorney general like social media accounts amazing and and, like helping to produce commercials and wow and so that was that was also a great experience where I got to do a bunch of different things there but kind of being the the young person at the time to be like I know how Twitter works and I know how to set up your Facebook page and I did some similar stuff for the web series as well um and you know here's how to look at your metrics and Cool. And how did you get the NPR All Songs Considered internship? Because I'm going to have to guess that is one of the most competitive music internships in the country. Uh, a tweet. That's right. <laughs> so um, Robin Hilton, who's one of the uh, co-hosts of um, All Songs Considered, I uh, I had applied, as you said, it's super competitive. I had applied for years. Uh, it was my kind of my last chance. Um, and so I had applied I hadn't heard anything. They hadn't announced anything. And so I tweeted at Robin Hilton and, you know, said something along the lines of, hey, like, have you have you guys picked your interns yet? Like, I'm super passionate about it. You know, would love to would love to know. I should look up the tweet and see what it actually yeah. said. Hopefully it was. But the sentiment is there the for sentiment sure. Is there, yeah. And he tweeted back. And then I also had the fortunate position of the, their current intern was a uh, alumni of my radio station. That's great. Of my college radio station. So mm-hmm. I had that in as well. Absolutely. Like, Dan, can you go mm-hmm. and say the girl that just tweeted at you is really cool. You know. And quick note, I'm all about whether you realize it or not, you're building your network in college. Yeah. It doesn't start after college. Oh, absolutely. And then it was after that, it was normal interview process. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know, or will will remember after as we start talking about this, Um, you wrote what is now what I would say an infamous blog post. Mm -hmm. Um, and before we get into that, how did you, how did that opportunity arise? Because I would guess most NPR interns aren't like writing content for the website. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to try to pull it up while you're talking about that. Before my internship had even started, I had actually started writing what became that blog post. Amazing. Um, and it was a bit in reaction to Bob Boylan, the other co-host of All Songs, had written about how he had transferred all of his music to the cloud and was writing about uh, what does music ownership mean now uh, and just lamenting the ways that the way that we listen to music has changed. Ownership um, as a fan. Yeah. And, um, and I'm sorry, what year was this? So this was... I pulled it up. I have um, it right here. But 2012. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is 2012. Um, Not even had, that long ago. It feels like an eternity, right? I know. 
I know it really does. But uh, I had had, I've been having conversations with people in my radio station about how we acquired music, how we listen to music. And I just remember having this conversation with a friend and he said, I don't, why would I ever pay for music? I just don't see. And the friend I assume is a see myself ever paying for music. And the friend I assume is a big music fan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Let, yes, let's just stop for a second and analyze your friend's comment for a second, okay, because yeah. I think the intention was, this is so stupid. Why? Like stupid as in how it's being presented to us. Right. Yeah. Cause at the time it was very iTunesy. Yeah. You know, so these downloads, it's like, well, I can just file, tra- like, he's he's not, just to clarify for people <laughs> older than me, like, he's not saying, fuck you, musicians. No. He's saying, why would I? It's just available. Yes. But do you think, and it's, I know this is a different person, he had thought into, like, but I love music, mm-hmm. or I love artists, and... yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, and, and I get it. I'm sorry to keep talking, but okay. I get that you were having a conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like he was making, this is my grandiose no, statement yeah. on the world. I think it was more of just like from a, from a really, uh, just a pragmatic standpoint as a, as a consumer, as a yeah. person, logically, it didn't make sense to him. Yeah. Right. Not, it not being a statement of how he values, how he himself values music or the value that music brings to his life, mm-hmm. but more in terms of like making a logical, like logical decision, considering your options, why would you choose this route? And let me just, and this is where our stories intertwine a little bit, whether you realize it or not is, um, this was way earlier than this, but in like 2008, I was managing Amanda Palmer in the Dresden Dolls, and she had her first solo record coming out with Ben Folds. And in 2008, I was IMing zip files back and forth with friends, you know, of music. And even though she was on a label and I knew the label would never let us do this, um, I had seen a fan come up to her to show and offer Amanda a check for a few hundred dollars just saying, I just want to support you and support your art. And I thought, why can't we put out this solo album like we would... Uh, like how we pay for museums, like suggested donation. So I'm, I'm just adding a little more color and context to your friend's comment, because yeah. I think four years earlier, that was my attitude too. It wasn't, why should we pay for me? You know, I, I felt the same way. I'm like, this is so stupid. Why are we charging $9.99? We could be charging $200. Yeah. You know, there's a thousand, there's, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Yeah. It's a question of like, what is the thing you're actually paying for, right? You're not paying for the file. You're paying for the connection that you have, the value that it is to you. But when you just think about, okay, I could purchase X file or I could get it from my friend. Yeah. And those two objects are exactly the same. He's making, he, that's his logic, this friend, right? Yeah, um, of course. To, to your point about putting it in context, right? Um, so also, this is before, um, I think, maybe only a few months after Spotify had launched in the U.S., mm-hmm. right? That's what I'm um, saying. So when, I, concept, when I'm reminded that this is 2012, I'm like, this is not that long ago. Exactly. The, the concept of a paid streaming service in the U.S. was still very, very new. Totally. And so, yeah, important context as well. But so I had been, yeah, having these conversations with my friends and... I uh, had participated in this RIA focus group that was like very sort of finger wagging, shamey, like they're bringing us here to ask about our music habits. 
and we're being honest. Sure. And we're getting lectured in a focus group. I'm so sorry. It was, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Can we stop for a second? <laughs> because you're way too young. to. So, like, when Napster came out, um, I was, uh, like, I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, how much would I pay for this service? Yeah. I would pay 10, 20. I didn't have this money. But yeah. I would. I was adding it up in my head what I spent on CDs and stuff. And I'm like, I would pay $50 a month for this service. Mm-hmm. And instead, our industry sued fans. Yeah. And what's disappointing to hear about that RAA mm-hmm. study or whatever is like, it's yeah. a focus group. Yeah. They need to be learning from college students yeah. and implementing that lecturing you guys yeah that's like suing fans in 1999 as far yeah. as i'm concerned but yeah, absolutely but my point is learn people <laughs> don't yell yes um so i've been thinking about it a lot and uh i start my new dream internship at npr and i'm maybe about a week in and uh, i'm going to the cafeteria to eat my lunch and bob boylan sitting there eating his lunch so no big deal I go and say, like, you know. Good intern, good timing. He's not stressed. And I sit with you and, you know, we're talking and I go, oh, I I kind of have this draft of a blog post. Can I send it to you and see, get your thoughts? Um, And then that kind of uh, went into, this was something, it wasn't just I sat down one day and wrote down my thoughts and we pressed publish. Like it went through multiple drafts of edits from multiple people. It was, it wasn't something that was done carelessly. Yeah. Um, and it was intentional. And I think one thing that, um, I don't know that I was quite able to, to realize that this was the thing that was bothering me at the time. But when I think back, Something that was really frustrating about, and I guess I should say that the gist of the piece was uh, kind of recapping my my own experience. It's, it's been a long time since I, I talk about my own experience with yeah. music and discovering music and how I have acquired or not acquired, you know, music in, in my life and kind of reflect on um, what that means no, maybe I'm doing Yeah, no, let's talk shit. about what pissed people off so, yeah, so yeah. much. Um, okay, so the title is, I and, and before I read this or part of it or whatever, I mean, I think I know the answer. Did you guys have any idea mm-hmm. that people would read? That? I mean, I know it's on, it's on All Songs Considered, but that it would have an impact. Yeah, so I think a thing that really bothered me that I, the thing that I didn't realize was bothering me is that people assumed that I didn't know that it was going to be controversial. I see. People thought that I had like sticked my, you know, I poked the hornet's nest and this poor intern didn't know what she was getting herself into. When I I knew that the post was provocative. That's yeah. why I wrote it. That's why I pitched it. Sure. That's why I thought, oh, I have this platform now as an intern and I have this thing that I think is, that I want to say that I think is important. And I even, when we were going through some of the edits, there were some suggestions to take something out or to soften this. And I pushed back because I thought, amazing. no, that, that, that takes out, it's, it's supposed to be provocative, yeah. right? And so in the, in the sort of aftermath where it did piss a lot of people off, I think that I, that the, the response that, yeah, that kind of as I said before, where the thought was, 
oh, this little, who knew this little blog post would do X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. was kind of like offensive. Sure. And I saw that because I understood, see, I was not pissed off by it. I completely understood where you were coming from because Mm -hmm. as an artist manager, we were, I don't even want to use the word like struggling. We were figuring out the same things, right? So you know, now that I look at this, like the title is clickbait for sure. <laughs> I never owned any music to begin with. The photo is is some clickbait too. Maybe yeah. it's meaningless now, but it's a crack CD. So I'll just read a little bit of this. Um, a few days before my internship at All Songs Considered started, Bob Boylan posted an article titled, I just deleted all my music on this blog. I, you know, even that is like amazing. Bob's with you, right? Yeah. This post is about entrusting his huge personal library to the cloud. Though this seems like a bold step to many people who responded to the article, to me, it didn't seem so bold at all. I never went through the transition from physical to digital. That, again, like the people, no offense, I don't mean to be ageist, but yeah. people don't understand that, yeah. you know? Maybe they do a little bit more now. I'm almost 21, and since, and since I first began to love music, I've been spoiled by the internet. I'm an avid music listener, concert goer, and college radio DJ. My world is music-centric. I've only bought 15 CDs in my lifetime. Do you still have any of those CDs? Uh, in my parents, uh, in my bedroom, in my parents' house, yes. Amazing. Uh, yet my entire iTunes library exceeds 11,000 songs. I wish I could say, because also it's, it sounds like you were really coming of age like in the iTunes era. Yeah. And I don't care what people think. It's like iTunes is kind of lame. You know what I mean? Like it's 99 cents and it's clunky. and The value proposition was not. Exactly. It's not a good value proposition. It made no sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wish I could say I miss album packaging and liner notes and rue the decline in album sales the digital world has caused. Even that's ridiculous. I mean, I, mm. we'll be careful what we say, but now yeah. people are like, I miss iTunes. Yeah. Um, but the truth is I've never, I've never supported physical music as a consumer. Can I ask, because you, you, know, you have great taste. Yeah. Um, what about vinyl? Um, so I actually am, uh, one of those, there's some studies on this. I own vinyl records. I have them in my apartment. I have not had a functional record player in years now. Right. So my motivation for buying vinyl is not for, uh, you know, the purpose that it was created for. Mm -hmm. It's, I have an emotional connection to this artist. I want a sentimental object to own that's related to that artist. It doesn't actually matter what the function of that object is. It's more about the sentiment and it's an expression of my identity, right? Buying a 99 cent file on iTunes didn't do any of that. It didn't give me something physical. It didn't give me any emotional connection with the artist. It didn't help me represent my identity. Those things are not comparable um in in my mind and it also Um, did not allow an emotional connection between the artist and you because we don't have your email address from that so we can't email you saying we're coming to town hey this is chris swinney formerly of the ataris and currently host of that one time on tour part of the sound talent media podcast network have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. All right. And, and also, like, I, I'm going to sound like a business person, business person saying this, but I get but the truth is I get really emotional about merch. Mm, yeah. Vinyl is merch. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So back to your piece here. 
Um, but the truth is I've never supported physical music as a consumer. As monumental a role as musicians and albums have played in my life, I've never invested money in them aside from concert tickets and t-shirts. And by the way, I, I think I talked about this when I responded yeah, years I ago. I bet you've spent a lot of money on concert tickets and shirts and stuff over yep. the years. But I, but I didn't illegally download most of my songs. A few are, admittedly, from... Again, I, it's amazing people get so pissed about this because you're actually saying most of my catalog yeah. is legal. A few... And, and who isn't like this? A few are, admittedly, from a stint in the fifth grade with the file sharing program, Kazaa. Some are from my family. I've swapped hundreds of mixed CDs with friends. My senior... Pro, I, I always remember this part. My, my <laughs> senior prom date took my iPod home once and returned it to me with 15 gigs of Big Star, The Velvet Underground, and Yola Tango. I owe him one. And also it's like, it's interesting because the concept of streaming was like my dream my whole life, whether I realized it or not. I'm still listening to like Sonic Youth catalog or someone mentioned Tori Amos or like even Ani DeFranco, who's, I had a bunch of her albums, like people like that with huge catalogs, like you don't even know where to begin. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not saying I have the solution, but like that's in theory what is rad about those 15 gigs, you know? We can keep it. There, there isn't much more. I can keep reading this. Um, during my first semester at college, my music library more than tripled. I spent hours sitting on the floor of my college radio station, ripping music onto my laptop. I mean, we all did. The walls were lined with hundreds of albums sent by promo companies and labels to our station over the years. All of those CDs are gone. My station's library is completely digital now, and so is my listening experience. If my laptop died and my hard drive, dis- hard drive disappeared tomorrow, I would certainly mourn the loss of my 100-plus playlists, particularly, particularly the archives of all my college radio shows. But I'd also be able to rebuild my, quote, library fairly easily. If I wanted to listen to something I didn't already have, I, I didn't already have in my patchwork collection, I could stream it on Spotify, where you now work, which we haven't <laughs> even mentioned yet. As I've grown up, I've come to realize the gravity of what file sharing means to the musicians I love. I can't support them with concert tickets and T-shirts alone. I could write a paper on that sentence, Um, but I honestly don't think that my peers and I will ever pay for albums. I do think we will pay for convenience. What I want is for one massive Spotify-like catalog of music that will sync to my phone and various home entertainment devices. Why couldn't... That was always so interesting to me, too. Like, Mm -hmm. here's what I do want. Yeah. And you got lectured. Yeah. And I guess the other good context there is at the time, um, only... Uh, only Spotify Premium was on uh, your phone, right? And there was so much holes in the catalog for so long, right? Because of exclusives to various mm-hmm. platforms, and it took Spotify a while to get to a complete um, catalog. So that sort of perfect celestial jukebox solution, uh, we, were, we were still quite far away from it at that point. But here's what we're saying, and obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. but unfortunately both Emily Whites were too young to actually have an impact on this. We just want something that makes sense. Yeah. That's that's what I got out of this blog post, which I'm almost done reading, and then we will talk about the chaos that came after. Um, with this new universal database, everyone <clears throat> would have convenient access to everything <coughs> excuse me, that has ever been recorded and performance royalties would be distributed based on play counts. I just wrote an article based, not just, I wrote an article saying something similar. Mm-hmm. Hopefully with more money going back to the artists in the present model and you hyperlink to something. All I require is the ability to listen to what I want, when I want, and how I want it. Is that too much to ask? So you probably know this, but yeah. here's what happened from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, despite our boring name, I have Google alerts for myself and 
I probably this popped up and maybe some local blogs picked it up. And then I saw it in, you know, Brooklyn Vegan and Stereo Gum. Then it gets to like Rolling Stone and Spin. And then you're in the New York Times and Time Magazine. And basically this very simple blog post that was short enough for me to read on a podcast became a lightning rod for people of everything that was wrong with your generation in the music industry. And you became a poster child for it. Yes. Am I exaggerating? Nope. So tell me about that experience I was only a couple weeks into my internship, right? So I don't even... That's so crazy. These people don't even really know me Exactly. Yet. I don't really know them. Yeah. Um, and it was a couple days before my 21st birthday, right? And I'm, I'm lucky that this didn't happen in the age of Twitter now. Totally. Right? Oh, my goodness. Um, but, I mean, someone recorded a video on YouTube that was called Song like to Emily White. Oh, my God! <laughs> I'll look that up. And wrote, I, I can't find it anymore. And, and wrote, you know, wrote a, a song about about the blog post. You know, it was really, really surreal. And I remember at first the day it came out, right? I was so excited and so yeah. proud and taking a screenshot. My articles on the homepage of NPR, and then the comments start rolling in, and you're reading it, and some of them are really positive, some of them are really negative, and then it just like, like you said, it just really started to snowball. And I went from being so excited and so proud to so terrified. You, I don't mean to like be extreme, but like yeah. if this happened now, you could have gotten death threats. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That was the vitriol of it. Yeah. Which I'm sure those comments are still there on the piece. And as yeah. I started reading at the time, wasn't it like the singer from Creed I mean, there were like legitimate artists like yes. flipping out in yes. the comment section. Yeah. Um, there were, I was super young, a couple weeks into my dream internship and I went from being so proud to being like, have I, did I do something wrong? Did I put my college radio station at risk by having my name connected with it? Did I, you know, uh, no, did I mess up things for the people that I, you know, work with now? It just, it was really hard, um, then once I started getting people like you reaching out, people like Travis Morrison reaching out and uh, kind of helping to balance out that that wave of negativity and people kind of reaching out and saying, you're you're right. You know, you're right. Thank you for writing this. And that that did really help, you know, me as a young intern to kind of uh, gain a little bit of that confidence back. What was the reaction of like the NPR staff? Because like you said, you didn't know them particularly well. They were really protective. That's awesome. They were were really protective. And I remember, uh, because I think the piece went up on a, on a weekend. I think it went up on like a Saturday. That's the other crazy thing. That's like not when you would (laughs) release a piece and it went viral. Um, yeah, I think it it went up on a Saturday. So there were a couple days before I was back in the office. Right. And I remember being so nervous about it that first day. And I, afterwards I went, I went with a friend to a record store (laughs) after, after work. And, I, uh, I, I see, I'm getting a call from Robin Hilton and I'm like, they're going to fire me. Aww. You know, I'm like, so afraid. And he's just calling to check in so to nice. see if I'm doing okay. You know? So the whole NPR music staff was so incredibly supportive and, um, so kind. And do you mind if I ask, um, how your family felt? Um, I think my family thought it was great. <laughs> they thought it was great and it was great. Uh, ultimately. So how long did that chaos last? Because it feels like it lasted kind of a while. 
Yeah, so definitely through through that summer, because this was, you know, uh, in June, right? Uh, so through that summer, it still felt like a like a big deal. And, and I remember also mm, kind of struggling with feeling like, is this is this going to be my thing? Am I going to be pegged as NPR intern totally. for the rest of my career? Is yeah. this going to be the thing that will follow me around? And, and honestly, it's the, you know, I, so let me think maybe four, four years after the articles when I started working at Spotify and no one at Spotify, yeah. I think like two people have ever mentioned it to me. Totally. Right? So it's, it's kind of, uh, forgotten or at least, you know, the name of the person who wrote that thing that one time is kind of forgotten. And so my fear of it being the thing that, that follows me around is, is, uh, you know, has not been what is come to be. Well, that fear is valid though, because I, it was such a freaking huge deal. And even I kind of understand what you're saying because I've mentioned to a few people I'm interviewing you. And then I like tell that story and they're like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Well, my face was on the cover of Washington city paper. Crazy. Oh, I remember that. And so it's like, I'm going, I'm riding the Metro and there's like a copy of my face on the, you know, seat. But like anyone who goes through like a public viral thing, Mm. like it slowed down. Yes. Yes. And things got back to normal. Yes. Um, so what did you do after your NPR internship? So after my NPR internship that year, I was the general manager of the of the radio station. So I was just really zoomed in, focused on that. It was a big job and wonderful. And then I graduated. And then here comes another fun story. I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do. I did, um, I wrote sort of a follow-up piece to the NPR piece for Billboard. An editor at Billboard had reached out to me asking if I wanted to sort of write a follow-up piece. That's great. And um, a couple months later, I'm sitting in uh, environmental studies, which was my last general education course that I had to uh, take before I was allowed to graduate. And I'm on Twitter in class. And I look and I see Bill Wordy, the editorial director of Billboard, has tweeted. Oh, it was a really funny tweet. I wish I could remember it. But it's something along the lines of, uh, I'm looking for a new assistant. Oh, yeah. Um, must be like, oh, gosh, it was like, must be inflammable or something. You know, funny requirements. Um, so tweets that he's looking for a new assistant. And I had been, I had talked to you on the phone, I think the week prior, um, kind of, I had been, you know, reaching out to context and trying to get advice of, I'm going to graduate, like, how should I be, you know, looking for jobs, etc. And um, you had mentioned, we had talked about me writing these for Billboard, you had mentioned that you knew Bill. So I see this tweet, I email you the tweet and say, Emily, you had mentioned that you knew Bill Wordy. Would you mind introducing us? And this is all within this course of this one lecture, right? So you do an email intro between me and Bill, and Bill asks if I can come to New York for an interview, and we schedule the interview, and it's for the following Monday, and then I, like, you know, walk, leave the lecture. So the whole thing happened uh, in the course of one class. Get on Twitter, college <laughs> students. Like, a lot of them are not, and I think it's so helpful to get a job at Billboard, or yeah. in all seriousness, to follow follow someone like Bill yeah. or whatever field you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then it was really quick after that. It was, I, so that weekend I had a stomach flu the whole weekend. And then I skipped class to take a bus up to New York on Monday and interviewed with Bill and he offered me the job on the spot. 
Amazing. And then I graduated on a Saturday. I moved to New York the following Monday and I started at Billboard on Tuesday. Fantastic. So it went really fast. Um, but uh, thanks for the intro. No problem. Know. And what a dream entry level job for someone that wants to work in the music industry because you're yeah. interacting with everyone. Yeah. I kind of joke that it was like getting paid to go get a music business degree. Cool. Because... I'm there and I'm working alongside the person who knows the most about the touring industry in the U.S., you know, all the beat reporters. Totally. The most about the publishing industry, the most about, you know, music, marketing and branding. Um, And so I got to learn from this, like, amazing, you know, panel of people. And it was, yeah, it was an amazing, it was an amazing entry, entryway into the industry. And then were you there until Bill moved on? No. So I was there, um, I think maybe about nine months after I started, um, Bill was the editorial director, um, left billboard and, uh, I had like the very fortunate position of immediately after that, like, uh, three different people pulling me into their office being like, we want to find a job for you. Do you want to come? Amazing. Which was, which was great because of course, you know, uh, when your boss leaves, it's always scary. Totally. Um, but so I ended up, uh, moving into the charts department. At first I was managing the rock charts at Billboard. And then, um, eventually I was, uh, managing the social and streaming charts. And so I was at Billboard for three years and had three jobs. And then, uh, I left to come to Spotify. That's great. Are you able to share how the Spotify opportunity came about? Yes. Really interesting. So for Spotify, I had actually, uh, I had written another post far less controversial, um, but I had written a post on Medium about the podcasting industry and my sort of experience as a podcast consumer and uh, pointing out all of the things that were broken about being a podcasting, uh, you know, lover and consumer. Um, and what I didn't really realize at the time is I essentially was writing like an opportunity assessment like I do now as a product manager yeah. where I was outlining the problem, the opportunity space and articulating how, you know, you would go about approaching a solution to those problems. Mm-hmm. Right? So I had written this medium post um, and it was it got a good amount of um, pickup and traffic and people reaching out to me about it. And I got a message on LinkedIn from Charlie Hellman, who is um, the head of creator marketplace at Spotify. Um, and he just kind of messaged me saying, Hey, I read your, um, your post on medium. I thought it was really interesting. Would you ever be interested in just like coming to Spotify for a coffee sometime? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did. And then that kind of just turned into a, we kept sort of keeping in touch. And I actually at this time had learned what a product manager was. <laughs> um, and realized it was something that I was really interested in, thought that I would be really good at. Why don't you share what a product manager is? So a product manager uh, is someone who uh, works with a team of engineers and designers and user researchers and data scientists to explore potential business opportunities and then craft a plan to discover a solution and then craft a plan to execute on that solution. And so, for example, that may be um, uh, within Spotify, uh, any of our new features like Daily Mix, right? Mm -hmm. So that's uh, your first identifying a user problem of, 
I want a more lean back way to listen to music, but I don't even want to go through the effort of picking what radio station I want to play. And I want to feel like Spotify knows me and my tastes, right? I didn't work on that feature. This is me. Sure. I'm up with it on the fly. Um, but but really having a deep understanding of user needs and, and user hurdles that they're facing and then identifying which of those needs could be the biggest opportunity for you, for your company, for, um, for users, and then kind of distilling that into uh, a plan and working with super talented teams to, to execute on that. Yeah, I think we should clarify too. I mean, this is like super old school of me to mention is like, that's the definition of a product manager at a startup. Yeah. And this is essentially like startup culture. Yeah. If we're going to get really music industry specific mm-hmm. in like the pre-digital world, yeah. like a product manager, which I'm sure you know, a product manager was a person in a, at a label yeah. that overseed the yeah. product. And yeah. then they evolved that term. Now they would call it like a project manager. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And yeah, being a product manager or working a record is a completely different yes. job. Um, then yeah, being in product at a, at a tech company, Charlie reached out, we got coffee. I knew I was interested in product. Um, so I, you know, asked him if there were product opportunities available. I met a couple other people at Spotify and it was, it was really interesting because there was never, there was never like a job posting online that I, you know, sent a resume and applied for. It was really more of a conversation. And uh, eventually I was asked to sort of give a presentation. Uh, and I don't think I submitted a resume until after I had already been verbally offered the job. So it was a very backwards sort of. But it's not because your first internship you got through Twitter, mm-hmm. your first entry level job you got on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And this, um, yeah, it, it, my point is like, how often do people get jobs from like an actual like, job posting or monster.com or whatever, by the yeah. time it's up there, yeah. then people are already talking about it or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And that's whenever, like, you know, people um, from AU are reaching out to me for advice or anyone who's ever asking for advice. That's exactly what I said. You don't want to be in a slush pile yeah. with, uh, you know, thousands of other resumes. Like, get your get your voice out there. So, you know, that's like, that's one of like, even if you're not a writer, write. Yeah. Right. Like get your voice out there, get your ideas and opinions out there and make like real relationships, Mm -hmm. like not, not a bunch of, not a ton of shallow relationships, but actually build long-term relationships with people. And most people want to help other people and like helping other people. And most people like to talk about themselves. This is super fun for me. I I love, you know, feeling like I have something to to talk about. You absolutely do. Um, And so most people want to help you. So you just have to ask. Yes. Um, And so those are always my bits of advice. Um, You get jobs through people. Yes. Cool. So are you able to talk about like anything you've worked on or some of the stuff you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So I work on a product called Spotify for artists. So not a lot of people know that Spotify actually has two apps. One of them is the the consumer app that you use to, to stream music. But the other app is built just for artists who have their music on Spotify and their teams. So if you're a musician um, whose music is available to stream on Spotify, you need a way to own your profile on Spotify to update your image, update your bio, um, add your social links, right? Uh, but you also need a platform to understand your audience and understand how people are consuming your music on Spotify. So Spotify for Artists is an app where you can get 
demographic information about your fans. Um, you can understand where in the world they're listening. You can understand what playlist you're getting added to um, and where you can also kind of own your, your presence on Spotify. Um, but we're also starting to launch, you know, new features, thinking more about, okay, how can we help artists also promote themselves directly on the platform? So this summer we launched a feature where users of Spotify for Artists can submit their music for consideration to our editorial team here cool. at Spotify um, by um, giving us a lot more context and information about their music. So mm -hmm. telling us what language is this, um, where are you from? giving them free space to really describe the song in a way that helps our editors then be able to more easily filter and sort and, and um, you know, understand uh, the music that's being submitted to them. Within that, the, the parts of the product that I personally work on, when I first joined, I was working on sort of our data visualization and data analytics. So like I mentioned before, the demographic information, the information about what playlists you've been added to, how many streams you're getting from those playlists, et cetera. And I um, created a new team um, that is more focused on how do we tell you what you need to know, when you need to know, and what to do with it, right? That's so great. How do we do a better job of um, communicating to our users what the most important information is and yeah. prompting them to, to, um, to use the tools that we have available. So we own things like when you do get added to a playlist, we email you about it, right? When you reach a new uh, milestone of how many followers you are, we email you about it. Um, we've also been working on things like how do we make a better home experience for mm -hmm. the product? So instead of just dropping you in on a timeline graph, we're actually sending you somewhere that is summarizing what's going on for you and, and also prompting you to take action. Um, and so that's the, that's what I'm working on. So what we do with those emails as a management company, if this helps the sliver of people that represent artists or whatever, we blow that up on our social media. We're like, Fox Stevenson just hit a million streams. Let's all celebrate that. Um, so that info is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so um, we have to wrap, yeah. but one last question. Yes. You've always had such great taste in music. Ooh. What are you listening to? Um, I, this is not very original, but I've been listening to the Robin album. It's so good, honey. Um, it's her first album in forever. And it's such a, um, I don't know, I, I think I, I draw a comparison to LCD sound system in that, like, it's the sound is still the same. It's just so much more mature. Yeah. And I think it's so great to like for bands who that where their music can really mature with them. And it's not that it's straying from the original vibe and the original sound. It's just yeah. like, it's just so much, it just gets better. It just, you know, it matures. It gets great. Um, but yeah, so I've been listening to that album like on repeat. Awesome. I will check it out. Actually, I thought of one other question. It's a little egocentric, but I don't care what the answer is. So, because I get emails once in a while, congrats on your position at Spotify. <laughs> so do people ever think you are me, one of the artists named Emily White, the um, tech executive named Emily White, um, or or know you as the NPR, infamous NPR intern? What happens the most? Uh, people definitely think that I'm you. Like, I'll get tagged in tweets all the time. I have to reroute them. Be right. Like, oh, thank you. Wrong one. You know, so-and-so. Um, so, yeah, that definitely ha happens a lot. Um, and then with the other Emily Whites, I don't, less so. Yeah. Um, less so. 
I think, I mean, like we both work in music and I have been very pro streaming for like a super long time. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of makes sense. But, um, I, I remember one time we were both going to, um, uh, oh my gosh. Future of Music Future Music Summit. Yeah, yeah, Summit. And uh, one of us picked up the other's name tag. Understandable. Uh, yeah. Well, we just got knocked on the door, so <laughs> we're going to wrap up. Yeah. But thank you so much for your time. That was fascinating. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Interning 101 podcast. I'm your host, Emily White. You can follow us anytime over on Twitter at interning101, as well as on our website, interning101.com. I'm on Twitter at at emwizzle. Hit us up anytime if you have questions, comments, guest suggestions, or just want to get something off your mind. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.